Father, we come into your presence this morning, and we are coming from all over the place, as we always do, Lord. Some of us are up, some of us are down, some of us are just really confused. And so uh, we just thank you that you are you, and you uh, are you no matter how we feel, and you love us no matter how we feel, and uh, your work that you have completed for us in Jesus is always complete, and we can't go back and undo that. And so thank you, Lord. We are just so thankful for that. And so this morning, as we are here gathered to hear your word and to sing your word and to celebrate what's true and uh, to have it just kneaded into our hearts more and more, we ask that you would do something that only you can do, which is uh, through your Holy Spirit, that you would just make us alive. You would make us more alive than when we came in this morning, Lord. You would open our eyes more, open our hearts more to uh, the truth of who you are and how you love us, and it would change everything. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, y'all can have a seat. Uh, welcome this morning. I'm Matt Avery. I'm one of the pastors here at Midtown. I'm a pastor of our new congregation, Midtown West, that is exists, though we have never all been in the same room together. So that's weird. Uh, but it's good. And uh, I, I just love like what's happening here, and it's not just happening in church, it's happening everywhere in all these different areas of our lives. Like, this is so weird and so different, but, uh, and there's some, there's some tough things, but the Lord's doing some really beautiful things. Like, all of our, our home churches and small groups, there are people who don't know the Lord who are just so curious, and this season has just stirred the curiosity, and they're, they're coming to check things out, and I don't know that that would have happened if, if they weren't in the comfort of people's homes where it's a little more intimate and a little less intimidating. Um, so just celebrating what God's doing in this weird season. Um, a 2018 Harvard Business Review article highlighted a 2010 study. Uh, you have those dates down? Just kidding. On uh, workaholism that set out to unravel the difference between behavior, how many hours somebody works per week, and mentality, a compulsion to work, or what they would call workaholism, an inability to psychologically detach from work or ongoing rumination. And the study showed that workaholics, even compared to those who worked longer hours who didn't have that compulsion, workaholics reported more health issues uh, related to higher stress level, higher blood pressure, more cholesterol issues, more sleep problems, more cynicism, more emotional exhaustion, more depressive feelings across the board. And so the, the finding of the study, they concluded that Obsessing over work is worse for you than working longer hours uh, and being able to put it down. Now, they did give a caveat, which I also think is really important. They said, uh, the people that we tested only worked up to 65 hours a week because when you work more than that, that's not healthy either. Um, but they had this, this line that said, our research suggests some potential solutions to help keep stress levels manageable and prevent health risks. The first step is to acknowledge when a relationship to work is unhealthy and when it feels out of control and is undermining outside relationships. The next step is to regain control. One way to do this is by setting clear rules for how many hours you will work each day. This can help you accept that there is a point at which you've done enough work for the day. Now, I would say uh, that's hard because if you're the problem, you can't also be the solution. So the people who have this workaholic tendency probably aren't going to be great at setting clear boundaries for themselves. Um, but this is, this is diving into what we're talking about today. This is our series called Thy Kingdom Come. We just finished a series called uh, The Priesthood of All Believers. This idea that we are, as God's people, a kingdom of priests. We always have been 
from the garden, and we always will be to the end of eternity, that we are a kingdom of priests. And that is, uh, priests are people who are close to God and invite others into that closeness. And the first time that God really uses that phrase, a kingdom of priests, um, in Scripture is in Exodus when they arrive to Mount Sinai, and the next thing he does is he gives the Ten Commandments. He gives his law. And so we are looking at this series um, at the Ten Commandments and seeing them as pathways to life with God and life in God. He's given us these pathways, and specifically, we're going to look at these commandments through the lens of Jesus. We're going to let Jesus interpret for us the, really the heart and the depth of these commandments and what God is, is intending um, as Jesus unpacks them more for us. And so we've got two passages today, and we will each week. Uh, the first today is Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11. So I'm going to read that for us. And this is the, the fourth commandment. Exodus 28 through 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord, your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. So the Sabbath day is a ceasing of our work. But it's not just a ceasing of our work. It's a ceasing of our work to the Lord. Okay? So it is a ceasing of our work to the Lord. It is relational. It is here for our relationship with God. It is here for our experience of abundant life this is sabbath is a pathway to abundant life and relationship with god it's like taking a long walk together there was already a built-in help to accept you know going back to what they said in this um, uh, uh, harvard business review article that um, there's already a built-in way to accept that you had done enough work for the day back then because it was an agrarian society and that was when the sun set because you can't work after that. So there is this like, built-in boundary marker that we don't have uh, for the day. And then this is God giving his people a built-in boundary to know that you've done enough work for the week by taking the last day and saying, we're not going to work on the last day. And so now Jesus, in our other passage we're going to look at today and really be in, uh, addresses the underlying issue that makes putting work down so hard. And so we're going to be in Matthew 6, 25 to 34. There may be a few of us in here who need to hear this. Okay, Matthew 6, 25 to 34. Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, 
Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. That's the word of the Lord. So um, here's where we're going today as we, as we look through this. First, our first point is just kind of a pit stop before we get going to define worry. What is, what is Jesus talking about when he says don't worry? So we're defining worry. Next place we're going is the secret life of birds and flowers. Then life as an orphan. And then our last point is living into Sabbath rest. Okay, so to get started, it's important to define worry because Jesus is warning his followers here that worry is very, very dangerous to your souls. The worry that Jesus is talking about keeps us from being able to Sabbath, both each week and more concerning uh, every day all the time in our hearts. This worry will keep you from Sabbath rest with God. And so we have to define this worry, and we should call this worry anxious worry, okay? Because there's there's a difference between worry that is care, like Jesus is not inviting us to not care about anything. That's not healthy either. There's a difference between worry that is care and worry that is anxious concern or anxious worry. Worry that is healthy concern or care is good because that's love, right? I can't, I can't not worry to some degree about my wife and my sons because I love them. So what's the feel of this healthy care or concern? It's rooted in the love of God and others. It's others-focused. And I can rest when I care. I can rest with God while I'm caring. I'm inviting Him into that care. I'm bringing these things to Him. Worry that is anxious is very different, though. The word that Jesus uses for this worry is, is this anxiety that divides your heart. It's like it rips your heart apart. It divides your heart and it distracts you. And the way that this feels is it's, it's self-focused. It's fear-based. Even when it's about somebody else, it's self-focused. Like, what if something happens to them? How is that going to make me feel? I've got to stop that from happening because I don't think I can handle that happening to them. It's rooted in a fearful self-interest or an orphan heart. It's this mentality of an orphan that if I'm not constantly worrying about everything, nobody else will because nobody else is going to take care of me. Either nobody else cares or nobody else, maybe if they care, they don't have the power to take care of me. And so now we can understand what Jesus is talking about and why this is so, so, so serious and so important. This kind of worry blinds you to what's true about you and about God. And so we got to deal with it. And so that, that brings us to our second point, the secret life of birds and flowers. Jesus is issuing an invitation to Sabbath rest. And anxious worry blinds me to the truth about God that is so clear to the rest of creation. Everything else in creation gets it, except for us. Jesus says, let these little birds and flowers teach you something. He is using personification here to help us see what health looks like. 
What is it to cease from work uh, to the Lord in our hearts? What kind of people are these birds and flowers? They are dependent on God as a creator and sustainer. They're totally dependent, which makes them humble. They don't live in this false reality that they don't need anybody else. They're very aware that they are in need all the time. They can't make things happen on their own, so it just they're humble. They're also simple. Life is simple. Like even just saying that makes me feel rested. <laughs> because I, I like to make life so complex. It's just simple. And part of what, what allows them to be simple people in a good sense of that word is they know the difference. There's no confusion between needs and wants. Like, hey, here's what I need. And God's going to take care of those needs. Wants, desires, that's something different. Those may not be good. And he may not meet those, but he's going to meet my needs. And I can rest in that. They are thankful. They're content. I don't know about y'all, but that sounds really appealing to me to live life that way and to be, to be those things. You know, a picture of this that Jesus is inviting us to, the Sabbath rest with God. Last night, we, we've got a newborn, if you don't know us, uh, Hutch, a little boy who's five weeks old now. And last night, I was holding him, and he was kind of like just getting over a cry and getting ready to fall asleep. And I've got him like right here. And I just took this big like resting sigh, like, and then two seconds later, he did. And I think that's a picture of, of the Sabbath rest that Jesus is inviting us to, like that we're just close to God, and he's letting us know it's okay to rest, and so then we can rest. Yeah, Jesus says, look at the birds. <laughs> like, you should learn from them, because what we do is we're searching for efficiency all the time. We're blowing through life to get to tomorrow. Man, if I could just figure out how to, like, get through the day and get everything done efficiently, then Tomorrow, I can blow through that day too and try to be as efficient as possible. And then the next day, and then the next day, and guess what? That's not life. Because you're not ever living life. I know what that feels like. Um, we also search for security. We're always building a nest egg. See what I did there with the birds and the nest? But it's like you're always building this nest egg, this security for some day in the future. And if I'm just worried and worried and building and building, like I don't ever live. Because that day in the future doesn't ever actually come. So that's not life either. I was listening to this song this week, and it just hit me as I was thinking. It was like as I was thinking about this passage, this uh, group called Hammock. It's like this atmospheric music that I listen to when I'm studying sometimes. Uh, but sometimes they have lyrics, and this one song says, It takes so long for you to realize 10,000 years won't save your life. And that's what Jesus is saying here. Like when you... You can work and worry and worry and add, add money to your bank account, add efficiency to, to try in your mind at least to add hours to your day, but that's not going to give you life because all this stuff, this cycle that you're in is not life. And then he says, look at the lilies. We're searching for, for our striving to give us status, to make us worth something, to get nice clothes to wear. And that's not life either because working more to get nicer clothes can't make an anxious person attractive. Like people still don't want to be around an anxious person, right? 
But how about this? How about living simply and humbly the way that God created you? That's radiant. To be at peace with yourself and who you are and who God is, that makes a person radiant. And I know you're thinking like, okay, this is great, but like we still have to work, right? And that's true, and Jesus knows that. Jesus is not saying everybody go home and stop working and just sit on your couch and wait for these things to happen. But here's what he's saying. Working like a bird or flower is an expression of faith and faithfulness and love. Working in the way that he's describing here, apart from anxious worry, is me showing up to my work every day because it's where I've been called to. It's where I'm drawing a paycheck, and so I'm trusting that this is going to be enough for today for me. And I'm also not just here for me. I'm here for other people too. The work that I do has value, and so I'm here to help other people in my community and other people that I work with and my customers that I work for. So in a lot of ways, it's not about me at all. It's, it's a response of, it's an act of faith, like I'm believing and trusting in God, and it's faithfulness to the people that are depending on me. And it's an act of love. It's knowing that God loves me the whole time I'm working and loving other people through my work. And Jesus says, your heavenly Father feeds them and clothes them, these relatively worthless little creatures, because that's who God is, because even the smallest of his creatures, he made them and he loves them and he's taking care of them. And Jesus is saying, won't he take care of you because you are of so much more value than they are? Your relationship to him is so much more significant than theirs. And to know that reality up here is just not enough. He's got to press it into our hearts. And so this, this third point here, life as an orphan, verses 31 and 32, um, Jesus lovingly exposes us here. This beautiful truth is shared. He invites us to this beautiful life, the life of birds and flowers. It's so peaceful. And then he says, oh, you of little faith. I'm like, ooh, ouch, Jesus. Like, we didn't have to say that, did we? Like, we were having this great moment. And then he's like, yeah, and there's essentially no difference between you and a Gentile. You're like, oof, okay. That, the first one, like, hurt a little bit. This one really stings. Like, what are you doing here? Like, why, why are you interrupting this moment with this just deep cut, like this knife? And what's he doing? Because Jesus... He never shames us. Like, he's never coming to just shame us and harm us. He's always coming to, if, he, if it ever feels like Jesus is wounding us, it's because he's, he's healing us. And Jesus is, is coming to get this rot out of our souls, is what he's doing. And he's got to wake us up and get our attention in order to do that. In Exodus, God commanded that Sabbath breakers be put to death. So that's serious, right? So Jesus is coming after us. Don't be full of anxious worry. It's not innocent. It is not innocent. It's not like, oh, I just, I just personally, the way I'm wired, I just kind of struggle with that. Jesus is saying, no, 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 that's not a struggle. That's sin. And it's not innocent, and it's not neutral, and it's going to kill your soul. And we have to deal with it because I love you. It's distrust. It's unbelief. It's pride. 
It's idolatry. That's why we can't turn it off. That's why I can't stop working. And that's why even when I physically stop working, I can't stop working up here because I'm serving another God. There is somebody else who has got my attention because God is telling me to rest. He's saying, you don't have to live like that. I'm inviting you to a life of simplicity and humility and gratitude. So why are you still working like this? Why are the wheels still spinning? Why is the factory still on at 3 a.m.? And it's because I'm serving other gods. And it's killing my soul. And so Jesus is saying, we got to dig in here. And what he says, like, this is so offensive when he says this about Gentiles to his audience back then. Like, that was so offensive. It would have been this huge record scratch moment because Gentiles is shorthand for people who are completely lost and apart from God. They don't have hope. They are orphans on a spiritual level. They are orphans. They don't have a heavenly father. They don't have anyone looking after them because they're enemies of God. Because they're still in their sin. They're still apart from him. And they are seeking after all these things, searching, searching, searching. What am I going to wear? What am I going to eat? How are, how are things going to be okay? I do have to worry about all these things. And they can never rest. They can't Sabbath. And Jesus is saying, you are living just like that. And it's like, oh Lord, please save me from this. I don't want to spend my life living a life that's not life. He's saying, is, is that really who you are? Like, are you living this way because that's who you are? Have you forgotten? And that's why he, he juxtaposes here in verse 31. Or verse 32, he says, Even the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father, like, this is not who you are. You're acting like this, but you have a heavenly Father who knows exactly what you need. At all times, he is never asleep. He is always attending to you. He knows exactly what you need. Your heavenly Father knows what you need. And he will give that to you. You don't have to live like this. You don't have to worry. You can rest. The Gentiles are searching everywhere for what will we eat. And Jesus has said, I'm the bread of life. Feed on me. And the Gentiles are worrying, saying, what are we going to drink? And Jesus said, I'm living water. You will never be thirsty again. And what will we wear? And Jesus is saying, I have covered you in my righteousness. You are not an enemy of God anymore. You are loved. You are his son. You are his daughter. And so that's why Paul says, because these things are true, in Romans 8.32, Paul says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us, how will he not also give, graciously give us all things? Like if God would not spare his only son, if Jesus would come and, and take care of soul rest for us, like are we serious? Like is he also not going to take care of making sure that we have enough food on the table to live to the next day? If he has gone to all the trouble to move heaven and earth and allow his son to suffer like that in our place? and raise him from the dead and show that he has power over death? And I don't think that he can put food on my table tomorrow? Really? If our Father loves us like this, like the, the gospel tells us he does, how could I ever doubt? 
that he will not sustain me as well. He created me, and he will sustain me. And I want to stop here and just testify in front of everybody that I have never, ever, ever, ever even come close to living a day of my life where I've not had my needs met. Like, I think it's important for us just to be able to say that out loud. Like, there has never, ever been danger that God has not taken care of all the needs that I have every single day of my life. But that's not how I've lived. I have lived so many days of my life on this, in this anxious worry that Jesus is warning us about. And so thank God he is drawing this out. Thank God that he will not leave us. Thank God that he is inviting us to learn how to live this life of Sabbath rest with him. And so, so that's our last point here, is living into Sabbath rest. These last two verses, 34, 33 and 34. What does this look like? Okay, we've exposed this sin, and as we confess it and as we ask him, Lord, please do something about this. I can't do something about this in my own power. All I can do is see it, name it, know that it's true, admit to it, and bring it to you and say, you're the one who can do something about this. And so please do something about this. But Jesus gives us a couple handholds to help us. The first is in verse 33, keep your heart set on him. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. This is an invitation to be with Jesus and to be like Jesus. That's what that means. Seek, desire, ask for, long for, learn from, talk with him, be hungry for this. To be with him and to be like him. Let that be your new obsession. And, and, when, and when that is, and as we learn to do this, guess what? All of the other things, all the worldly concerns that we have, it says will be added to us. The word added to is, is like this, it will just be placed at your feet. Like if I worry about Jesus, he is going to worry about the other things, and he is going to place them at my feet. Like right now in this newborn phase, I'll tell you what is so amazing is having a meal train and that's what's happening right now is our dinner is being placed at our house by other people. And we don't have to worry about it. And it's beautiful. And it's such a gift. And I'm so thankful for it. And Jesus is saying, yeah, guess what? All of life can work like that. As you walk with me by faith and keep your eyes on me, these things will be placed for you. And, and the second handhold that he gives us is, for me at least, uh, is really hard and, and so important is to live in today. Just live in today. Be present. Like, man, that is really, really hard. God has given you everything you need for today. But guess what? He hasn't given you everything you need for a thousand different future scenarios covering the next 30 years all playing out at the same time. So in my mind, when I'm living in those places, he hasn't given me what I need to cover all that because that's not real. He said, just live in the reality of today, be present, and I will meet you in the present. And let tomorrow worry about itself. You know, he's, he's personifying all these things, the birds and the flowers, and he does that with tomorrow too. He's like, hey, tomorrow's a big boy. Tomorrow can take care of himself. 
You don't need to worry about him. He's good. You just live in today. You just worry about today. And what happens when we live in today is, is something really great, is that we see, we take our needs to him. He gives us, it says that uh, in verse 34 here, it says, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Like, we have enough. There's a good amount of trouble every day. And why is that good? Because that draws me to him. Hey, Lord, I, I need your help with this. It reminds me that I am dependent and that I can depend on him. And when I bring today's sufficient troubles to him, then I watch him meet those needs and I can be thankful and I can celebrate the way that he has met me in every single one of my todays. And most of us, myself included, have very little experience living in the present apart from when I'm engaged in the anxious work that I'm, I'm so anxious about. When I'm doing anything else, it's really hard for me to live in the present. Trust me, I tried a lot this week because this was fresh on my mind, and uh, it was really hard, but it was also such a gift to start to walk through those, those paths of saying, okay, I can't even do this, Lord. Like, you've got to help me be present. And just what that allowed to happen, the relationship that that allowed to happen, the times that I was communicating with him and and hearing from him and allowing him to remind me of what's true, um, that's life. I was, I was walking that path toward life. Uh, some of y'all are familiar with uh, actor-comedian Bill Murray is famous for these stories where he just does crazy things with random everyday people because he just wants to give them joy. And I heard one of these stories uh, a couple nights ago that uh, he was once taking a cab from Oakland to Sausalito, California, and... Uh, the cab driver, as they're talking, tells him that he's a saxophone player, and Bill says, oh, that's great. Like, well, when do you find time to practice? And he's like, well, it's really hard because I drive a cab 14 hours a day. And Bill said, well, where's your saxophone? And he said, it's in the trunk. And Bill said, well, pull over. <laughs> and he's like, go get your saxophone. You sit in the back, and I'll drive the cab. And the guy's like, what? You've never driven a cab? He's like, I know how to drive a car. We're going to be fine. And so he's literally driving him as the cab driver is playing his saxophone in the back seat. And then the, the saxophone player says, Bill pulls over, it's like 2 a.m., and he pulls over into this like rib joint that's in a very, very unsafe neighborhood. And, uh, and he says, come on, let's go. And he, he walks in, and he says, bring your saxophone. And the guy brings the saxophone in, and he's like, are you sure, man? I don't know about this. And he's like, hey, hey, you've got the saxophone. You just start playing it. We're going to be fine. And so he says he just literally played the saxophone and all these people just turned and it was like this free concert and Bill Murray's eating ribs while this guy's playing the saxophone. <laughs> and then when they're all finished, he gets back in the cab and, and finishes the drive and somebody was asking Bill Murray about this experience. And uh, he says, if you're available, you just see it. You know, talking about these moments in life. If you're available, you just see these things. And it's not like I didn't stay up like crafting this idea of what I was going to do in this taxi cab, but I was just present. And, and in other words, don't miss life. And so we don't have Bill Murray, but we have Jesus Christ, the King of Heaven, who is, is more capable than Bill Murray of allowing us to experience life like this. The way that we live most of the time is not really living, so it's, 
the journey that we're on as followers of Jesus, the journey that we're on together as followers of Jesus, is to, to let him teach us collectively how to be people who can rest. You go back to uh, the Sabbath commandment in Exodus, the reason for it in verse 11 is because God did it. And at first you're like, that doesn't really make sense. Like, why, why do we need to keep the Sabbath? Well, because when God created everything in six days, he rested on the seventh day. And in other words, you and I were made in the image of our Heavenly Father, and he's teaching us how to be like him. God could have kept creating. He could have kept made more and more and more and more, but he stopped. And he could stop and be satisfied and enjoy and appreciate. And he said, I, I made you to be like that too. I made you to be people who can stop and be satisfied and enjoy what you've done, enjoy what I've done, and rest. And maybe most importantly, I've created you to be people who are complete and whole apart from the work that you do. You can stop and you can rest because that work that you're resting from is not your identity. Your identity is that you're my son. You're my daughter. And as he teaches us how to rest, that is going to free us up to actually be able to live life. Like Bill Murray said, to have our eyes open and not miss it. Father, I ask that you would, um, man, that you would just keep doing this work. You would keep teaching us how to rest. You keep teaching us how to to keep our eyes on you. And, and this can sound so, man, we are so cynical. And this can sound so Peter Pan, um, just crazy. But it's not, Lord. So I pray that you would give us the faith to walk down these paths with you, Lord. That you would take our hand, that you would teach us, that you would show us what it is that we can actually be a people who rest. That we can be people who are whole apart from our work. Lord, we need that desperately. Our world needs to, to know that that is a, a possibility because um, we're, we're all dying over here. Uh, we are all dying just working ourselves, working, working, working for that which is not life. So Jesus, thank you for giving us life so that now we can live life with you. And uh, we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.